Yes, my team is winning. I love sports. I love baseball. Most of all, I love the Buffalo Bills. You know, Sean, there's only one thing better than baseball played in real life by living, breathing humans. The 1985 classic, NES Baseball, on original NES hardware. <gasps> but Joe, I heard that game was haunted. Haunted? That's just a dumb myth some stupid podcast made up. Come on, our team's winning by 185. Let's get out of here. I swear to God, Joe, once you put that cursed game into the NES, there's no turning back. It's just a game. Oh God, what have you done? Will you relax? I just need to blow in the cartridge. <sighs> Trust me, this is worth it just for the pause sound. Just gotta press the power on button and... Joe? Joe? It was just a game. I'm here to see Michael Esposito. But if they don't win... It was just an article. No one was supposed to get hurt. But he did. He did get hurt. It'll be a shame. There actually is one way to bring your friend back. But you're not going to like it. Beat NES Baseball. That's impossible. Was impossible. You've acquired special power-ups from surviving the game. Pitcher throws a ball right at you. Now it goes right through you. I'm dead? You're dead on the inside. But on the outside, not yet, partner. Three strikes, and they're out of lives. I can't control my fielders. No one can. Is NES Baseball Haunted? The article, the movie, available wherever you listen to podcasts. Coming, never. Who the hell are you? I'm here to talk to you about the Angels in the Outfield Initiative. Castle Quest. A long time ago, in a faraway land, there lived a lovely young princess named Margarita. To Nostalgia, a chronological exploration of every NES game released in North America. I'm Mike. I'm Sean. And I'm Joe. Castle Quest. Seems like the whole game is explained here. We don't really need to tell anybody what the game is or what it does or, you know, it's just a castle that goes on a quest throughout the land. The castle well, <laughs> literally picks up its physical body and just walks through, roams the land of uh, fantasy world. Uh, going on a quest to find another castle, right? Well, that's where you're wrong, Mike. <laughs> well, I was going to say, if that doesn't explain it enough for you, you can always read the back of the box, which tells you all the conflict that's happening in this game, that once upon a time there was a princess named Margarita. I mean, now, to be fair, I cut the back of the box okay. off because they wanted me, this version of the back of the box wanted me to read the entire thing. But even if I was going to say, like, okay, well, what's the shortest possible version I can find? <laughs> That is the shortest possible version I could find because the one in the manual is even longer and basically repeats itself but manages to find, like, additional details to add in. So overall, there is no short, uh, like, side of this story other than you're a guy in a castle trying to find a princess. I think we've heard it before. I don't think we need to include all the, like, atmospheric character names and... There's um, nothing. 
Yeah, it's just it's just a bunch of like you know padding for the actual experience of the game. That's just the reverse. Just like this problem. is for the show. Yeah. Right. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's a whole podcast dedicated to Castle Quest, so I figured you know we, we don't have to cover that here. We'll just cover the game, True. not the story. They they are doing a chronological exploration of the story of Castle Quest, and they are on episode one thousand. Yeah. What are they called? So, Questalgia. <laughs> yeah, that's something like that. But no, we have to talk about the game, obviously, because that's the, that's the point of this podcast. I guess what I was getting at, though, is that Castle Quest to me sounds like a fairly generic thing that would actually be exciting, right? Like the idea of like seeing Castle Quest on a box. Like if I'm a young kid, that kind of title is going to grab me more than most titles. And so that alone has like some intrigue to it, you know, in terms of NES titles. Do you guys agree? <laughs> yeah, definitely. Uh, the West, no. I feel like, gives you more of a like the maybe the idea that it's going to be a little bit of action. The the genericness of the title kind of made me just think like, oh, I'm not I'm not really in for anything exciting. And and I know that I have been pro- proven wrong before, uh, but I did, I had no uh, expectations going into this. So in this game that Sean has no expectations for, you are. Navigating through a castle. Uh, do we know this guy's name? Is any did anybody actually read the manual to find out this guy's name? Bob. <laughs> okay, so you're Bob, and you have to go through the uh, the castle, and the whole game takes place inside this one castle with about a hundred uh, different rooms inside of it. And uh, as you traverse the castle, it's like a series of puzzle rooms that you have to uh, navigate your way through to collect different colored keys. Uh, These colored keys can only open the corresponding color of the door that appears before them. And there are many keys in each room. It's not just, uh, you know, though, this is a there might not be any key or there might be one key. It's like, no, there are many keys throughout the rooms and you have to do a lot of backtracking to find uh, ways to collect the other keys. But ultimately, the idea of this game is you enter a room, you try to figure out which key you need to collect or which keys you can collect at the current moment collect said keys by solving the puzzles, moving into the new doors to go into the other room, and then progressing onwards until you get closer and closer to rescuing Princess Margarita. How does this make for a core gameplay loop? It's on paper. It's, 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 entirely, it's entirely acceptable. Um, you know, we, we haven't had too many puzzle platformer uh, games, and uh, there's... There's all the room to grow within that genre, so uh, I I think yeah that that's how I that's what I'd say about it. Even though, like you said, we haven't had a ton of these, it's uh it's a little different in the sense that it it feels like one full like cohesive whole. Not to say that like other puzzle games didn't feel cohesive, but what I mean by that is that it's not like you don't go through level after level that each level is its own self-contained puzzle. It's like the whole castle is one puzzle. And yes, there are self-contained puzzles on each screen, but they sort of correspond to each other. So like you're on one screen, you can't figure out what to do. You might have to remember back to a different screen. You might have to look at your map and and remember back to another screen um, where there was a pink key and like, Oh, how can I get that pink key? Well, in order to get that pink key, you got to get this other, this blue key from this other screen. And you got to really think of the castle as a whole yeah. like that. And as you go, you kind of like build your map. So like, I, I appreciated that as something that was like different than, uh, I mean, just to use the generic or like the, the first example of this different than, um, and now I can't think of the name, uh, Load, wrecking crew load runner. Load Runner 2, but I was thinking Wrecking Crew even, where it was just like the first oh, puzzle okay. game we had, where, but it was like every 
every puzzle was its own self-contained puzzle. It was nice to see to see a different way of approaching it. Yeah, I mean, the idea that it all takes place in one castle uninterrupted is kind of like the hook here, right? Um, you mentioned, Joe, building out like the map and just thinking about your whereabouts. This isn't a game, even with 100 levels, where you necessarily get lost. You can get stuck not figuring out how to solve the current puzzle or being like, oh, maybe I should have used my key on a different door because there is no like... You must use the key that you just picked up on the door that's directly in front of you. There's choices and stuff. But the, this it doesn't have like a deadly towers problem where you have no idea where you are in said castle that feels more like a maze. This is just a massive sprawling castle that you're constantly just uncovering, you know, new uh, yeah. new doors for. It's sort of like, I guess, like a modern equivalent, at least structurally, in terms of like each puzzle playing into puzzles nearby. I guess like the modern equivalent could be something like The Witness. Uh, I know there's there's really nothing else similar <laughs> uh, beyond that, but that was just the first thing that I thought of. But um, uh, but Mike, going to y- your statement about how you can get stuck, um, I I feel like an alternate title for this game would be just like Soft Lock. <laughs> because uh, that this is a game. I, I don't want to get ahead of ourselves, but um, that I think one of the they had it, it was such a problem being soft locked in this game that they had to create a feature for it um, with the with the restart room uh, button on the other controller. So I I think that the they did they did a lot of things. Uh, well, structurally in terms of the puzzle layout, but also um, stuff like that. Yeah, I mean, you really haven't played this game until you've softlocked yourself, and with 100 <laughs> levels, you're gonna do it eventually. I actually, at first, thought, like, it was on me. Like, oh, no, like, what did, did I really just go through the wrong door or whatever? And then I looked it up, and it's just like, no, this is just something that happens to people. <laughs> so, you know, I'm glad you mentioned The Witness because I also, I wasn't thinking of like that modern of a game, but in many ways, I found this to be like an early prototype version of a Prince of Persia style game. You know, Prince of Persia has like, you're in the, um, what are you in there? Are you in like a temple or like a pyramids? Yeah, or, you're talking about like yeah. the PlayStation Prince of Persia. No, I'm talking oh, about the, um, the, original, the original, the computer like... game one where, uh, you know, the only, you don't have any real like, advantages yeah, other than your jump and stuff like Egyptian that. That's an NES game also, right? We'll be playing that, right? I think we'll be playing a version of that, not the original yeah. version, but like the NES port of it, which probably has some changes. Gotcha. Anyway, the reason why I say that, you know, the whole Prince of Persia thing is that it didn't have that problem of like potentials to like soft lock yourself here. So, I, you know, I, I know you thought that it might be a bit early to bring that up, but I think that is an important uh, piece of this whole like this game because ultimately this game is a lot of experimentation in counterproductive ways because of how much um, control and options they give to the player on the one hand the rooms are littered with all different kinds of keys and all different color doors right and that gives a lot of player agency on what they should do or what they want to do next but that can also lead to a lot of moments where you just chose wrong and you have to, you know, like you said, restart the room or, re- you know, or suicide yourself to kind of get like a cheap way to have a good door remain unlocked. But yeah. uh, 
you know, but not with any penalties. Like those things are built into the game because they couldn't figure out the like, let's just open up so many doors and so many keys that, you know, they'll feel like they have a lot of choices, but ultimately we didn't actually test all of these branching paths. Yeah. yeah that That's sort of what I was getting at, uh, getting from it is like a, a lot of, I think a lot of more testing would have solved this problem. And, and the, the 50 lives, while that's also a, um, a solution to another problem between the 50 lives and the whole like sub menu, like that's just entirely dedicated to having to restart um, uh, are just sort of lazy solutions for. I'm I'm of two minds of this too because when I when I first played my first playthrough I soft locked myself and this is before I had read the manual so I thought I was actually soft locked and I was very negative about this game after that point because then I soft locked again and I restarted again I had this happen twice before I finally read the manual which I should have done in the first place um, and realized that I that I could be using because I tried every button on the I was like there must be some menu in the pause menu I don't know why this isn't just in the pause menu anyways but uh, yeah. there must be some menu where I can like reset or go back because I didn't think that the idea of resetting a room in a puzzle game like this was that out of the ordinary in fact I was looking for it because I, I thought that that was just like a thing. Uh, where <laughs> is that not a thing? Where you like you 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 lock yourself? Oh, you got to try again. You no, reset. I think it's, that it's happens, definitely think, a feature in a lot. Yeah, yeah. So like that didn't bother me. Once I found out that that exists, it didn't bother me so much because because that's part of the experimentation of it all. I like I never felt like after that. I never felt like. Oh, the, 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 like there's just a mess of of options of ways you're not supposed to go, and that's why the soft locking is. It just felt like, and again, I didn't beat this game, so maybe a lot of the places I was going would have turned out to be fruitless and pointless in the end. But I thought everywhere was going to turn out to be somewhere I needed to eventually go, and I and and the whole soft locking part was just like, yeah, not not maybe not the most ideal way, but it's like just me exploring and trial and error, um, like finding things that I would come back to later. Well, I do think though that and I, that we've been, we've been talking about like this sub menu being able to restart, it, sort of solving this problem. But I also do think, and I can't confirm, but I do think that if you proceed through the game in in a certain way or certain ways, that you can just run out of keys. Yes, and that is correct. So that is a real so soft lock that soft they don't have a button yes. for, uh, which is kind of crazy. Um, in a game this long. Yeah. Okay, well, I'm sold now. <laughs> that this that sucks. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm yeah, I, sorry, I'm just back to exactly where I was before I knew you had that menu where it's like this game no game should you shouldn't be able to soft lock legitimately in any game. <laughs> well, you know, and it's also the whole useless doors thing. Um I appreciated your optimism to think that like, well, it's just so big that maybe I'll figure out what these were for eventually. But the fact that there are useless doors and there are ways to, like, lock yourself out of the game and stuff like that, it just, to me, shows a, a lack of, like, developer care towards the towards the game, that they are ultimately trying to extend the life of the game by making it so that, you know, oh, well, you went through the wrong door. Like, hopefully next time you'll remember that and figure it out this way. Or, you know, there's a lot of obstacles in this game that are self-created that they could have just play-tested. Uh, but instead, they, it's almost like they left them in because they thought that was part of the experience. But I'd argue if it is part of the experience, it's the worst part of the experience. Yeah, there's no 
Like, uh, like there's no like get good to uh, getting trapped. Like, it, there's nothing like, uh, oh, I feel like I've earned this failure. It just feels like you wasted your time. <laughs> and that's yeah. a good point because overall, the game isn't really like difficult or anything. Uh, there's enemies on screen that you know kind of act like either Goombas or Koopa Troopers, where they'll either just stay on the same path or they'll pace back and forth. But you know, they have very programmed sets of movements. They're not going to target you in any particular way. And you do have a knife that provided you time it correctly, you'll be able to attack enemies with uh, something that I understand was not in all versions of Castle Quest. So that was like another added bonus for the NES as like another way to take out enemies. So, you know, even when you go into a new room, the first thing that they give you is the option to explore the room, scroll across left and right at your own leisure to see what the room looks like to understand maybe what you need to do in that room rather than have your character walk about and explore it with the peril of enemies and things around it. So it is a forgiving game in some regards. It's just, um, you know, the trade-off is, is that when you're, when you're playing through the game, you're not sure if you're going to wind up on a path that is ultimately leading you somewhere. There is no progression bar. There are no story beats. I think, you know, this game didn't need like boss fights or, um, separate castles but it did need some kind of moment of like i've made it you know like now i have a i collected some other kind of key that i need for the overall like bigger picture to rescue the princess right it needed something like that so this way you felt like you were making progress rather than just continuously entering room after room after room yeah i, I mean I, I guess the only the only sense of progress is that yeah that looking at your map and seeing what's filled out but even that there would be like times where I didn't know, you know, how many layers deep underground rooms could go. So, like, I still couldn't even tell how full my map was. Because, like, well, maybe more things will start opening up over here where I don't think there's any rooms. Yeah, the sense of progress is literally just the progress that you make. I know that that sounds kind of goofy and, and tautological, but um, I, I do think that some dopamine release it could could have been helpful here because again this is a very long game and it is possible to miss the map um so you might have to be writing this all down and uh, you don't have this thing to look at um so it, it it's very much l laborious is what i would say look this is sort of a job to get through <laughs> Right. It's interesting that they didn't include the map as just like part of your starting equipment, right? Yeah. Because it is something that it feels like Raphael is filling out. Not that he, you know, not something that like, it's it's almost like he found blank paper and a pen instead, <laughs> yeah, you know? Yeah. It's like, great, now I can fill in the map. If he found an actual map, it should be all filled in. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Anyway, um, I just said his name was Raphael, and that's true. I'm sure that caught some people off guard. <laughs> I think it's Bob. While, while you were talking, I was like, eh, let me look up this guy's name so I can find out what, what the hell we're supposed to be calling him. So his name's Raphael, and the reason why I looked up his name is because we're going to be talking about how he controls now. Uh, that's, that's kind of an important thing because, you know, exp uh, expanding it to the 
Prince of Persia series, that whole um, computer game was based on, you know, how far he can jump and knowing the limitations of his move set and what he can grab onto. I feel like that's still important here with Raphael because if he doesn't have, you know, like there, there's a certain amount of space he can jump to. There's purposefully designed um, platforms in each stage that after a while you'll get a feel that you just know you can't reach them because you can't jump that high. What did we think about this floaty control that he has in his jump? Was it to their benefit to include something like that to give a little extra gameplay boost to it? Or did it feel kind of zany and out there? I think it could have been it could have been fine for a puzzle game, but because they tried to like I don't know, because it was also, like, most of the time, or not most of the time, but a lot of the time, the jump and the motion is also, as, like, the is also ties into the action, quote-unquote, element of it, where you're jumping over an enemy, or you have to jump a certain distance around a spike spikes. It just feels like you have to be too precise. Like, there are a lot of times where I would just jump over something, and I would miss it by, like, a pixel, like, like, legitimately, I'm like, okay, I actually don't think I can make it. But then I would try, like, 20 more times, and I would make it at the 20th time, and I can't even, like, see the difference in, like, what my jump was. And that felt kind of weird, because it's, like, it gives you, just for context for anyone who hasn't played the game, it gives you this, like, hang time that's, like, very exact. Like, you literally just sit up there perfectly yeah. still in the air for, like, three seconds, and then start to move down. It, it just, it sounds like it would be easier to jump over things that way, but it, it almost makes it harder. Yeah, it's got this like Princess Peach thing going for it. And I found that it's it's totally viable for the puzzle platforming. Like the fact that there's sort of like just two binary heights that you can be either on the ground or at this max uh, jump. And in between is this very linear, slow uh, movement so that like it's 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 legible. And uh, you'll be able to sort of know how high you can jump. Um, but it does not work for uh, avoiding enemies because it's so slow and, and it has no hop to it. It's just this linear in increasing of, uh, <laughs> of height um, that when you're trying to jump over an enemy, like you need to yeah be super precise because there's so much lead time that... For uh, you may hit the jump button, per, but but for several milliseconds you're still in harm's way. And I know that sounds super short and nitpicky, but it just doesn't feel good, um, and just becomes a problem for that part of the gameplay. Well, Sean, that's you know that becomes a problem because that's how they designed a lot of these enemy encounters to be in very narrow spaces where there is like a wall directly above you. So if you want to jump, right, it just kind of gives you like, you know, there's either spikes or there's uh, a wall or there's, um, you know, some some other element that you need to get to. So you, you do have to kind of time all these enemy things. And I think that's fine. But yeah, when the jump control input, like the timing of it becomes an issue with the character, which I do know what you're talking about. There was definitely some things even early on that I ran into. When that becomes an issue, it's something that you have to learn around, you know, of like uh, pressing pressing earlier than you want to almost. Like you have to think about the room and be like, okay, well, this is a small space and that enemy is heading in the direction that I'm going to be walking towards. So I need to hit the jump 
as he's approaching me rather than like when we're about to collide. Yeah. Because you have to prepare for the the weight at first that then becomes like a levitation trick that then, you know, falls uh, with the same kind of weight. <laughs> There's a lot of recalibration in your gamer head um, from like past uh, from past side scrollers that it's hard to it's hard to get around. So let's talk about the types of rooms, and we're not going to talk about every room because there's a hundred of them, but I'm just curious about the experience that we all had with the puzzles that we that we saw, because I would argue that the game at first does do a good job at leading the player to, like, here's the kinds of puzzles you'll run into, and here's the strategy of the game, right? Like, they're, there's, they're immediately introducing you to the different colors and keys. It's not like you're only collecting gold keys right away and there's only gold doors and then all of a sudden it's like, wow, it's blue. No, they're, they're teaching you these things very early on and, you know, they start off with like, here's one enemy and then here's a enemy that has kind of like a puzzle thing to it because you have to time the enemy with the where the key is and then they show you water. So they space these things all out and they definitely teach you the elements of the game, which is helpful, but... I didn't beat this game either. I found that later on, the puzzles actually became very intricate in a, like, Adventures of Lolo or, um, you know, other NES puzzle games that we've faced so far in that kind of same same realm where, like, oh, it's a, it's a similar game where you think it's going to be an easy ride the whole way through, and then it kind of throws this, you know, difficulty curve at you. But this one felt fair to me. It just felt like the puzzles just kept getting longer and longer in each room. I was surprised when I started seeing pulley systems with blocks, yeah. and you have to like put blocks on the the weights and then pull uh, another push another block in an opposite direction to get the gears to spin. Like I, it was kind of amazing to see these things in this game, even though there's nothing complicated about that. It's just that I didn't expect the puzzles to reach that level of intricacy. Yeah, that level itself, that one screen can take you like five to ten minutes and then multiply that by a hundred. I know that it is one of the more, at least as far as I got, it's it's one of the most complex. But uh, yeah, it, it can it varies from like uh, you, you kind of see what they're doing immediately um, to I have no idea how to approach this and I'm hoping that the next room gives me hints. Um, so, yeah, there, it, it varies wildly, the amount of time that you'll have to spend on each of them. Yeah, I, I sort of like that, though. I mean, it, it depends. You know, so earlier, Mike, you said um, that you saw based on the uh, the dead end doors and the getting locked, uh, soft locked, like a lack of care by the developers. And I agree with you on that point. But I also think that that these puzzles show a good amount of care in, in, in you know in a different way but I, I i kind of appreciated that there would be a there would be something that i'm like okay this is this is ridiculous this is unsolvable i don't have all the pieces of the puzzle and then it would click for me you know like i remember there were a couple where you had to fill in it was early on but like you had to fill in spaces with blocks and you you know you to fill in spaces with blocks which is one thing you have to think about like you have to that has to dawn on you first of all and then second of all you have to figure out how to get the blocks over to those spaces and then like once those blocks are filled in you can use that to push other things and it's, it's a lot easier to explain if you can see what i'm talking about but like <laughs> things like that where it's like i you know i do appreciate that 
that type of puzzle that gives you this satisfaction because you couldn't see it before. And not to keep bringing up, the, you know, I know it's kind of ridiculous we keep bringing up The Witness, but, like, that's the kind of thing, that's the kind of feeling I get from The Witness. And do not get me wrong, this game is nowhere near The Witness, but, like, it just feels like a tiny, tiny little step in that direction for me. And, and, and you know, not every puzzle in this game is like that, but I'm just saying I noticed some that were like that. Right. It's not as unforgiving as Solomon's Key got later on, but that's the other game I was thinking of off the top of my head for yeah, NES Solomon's puzzle games Key. was like, you know, at first they just not show you right. what to do with the game and you're like, great, okay, like I, I can play this game. I know what to do. And then the puzzles start to become more intricate to the point where you're like, eh, I, don't, I don't even know if I can play this because this is all, a lot to digest at the moment. I think... Joe, you're spot on that, you know, this is definitely some care in these levels and the fact that there's so many of them and that they aren't just like, okay, defeat all the enemies in the room and then the key will spawn, right? Because it's not that kind of thing. It does take longer to to create these kinds of um, environments and, and think about uh, how to make a whole new puzzle rather than just, okay, it's the same puzzle as the previous room, but now we added enemies, you know, like they are they are being pretty intricate about their designs here. I, I just wonder, you know, they gave you 50 lives because there was no save, okay? In other versions of this game where you can save, they only give you three lives. So because the NES, the cartridge, they didn't want to splurge on the, the same battery <laughs> that requires you to make it so you can save, they, you know, whether it was a lack of faith in how much it would sell or that was just too expensive for them, because they use that as a crutch. I wonder if that really hurts this game more than anything is the length of the game, the inability to save, and knowing that these puzzles are on the longer side. It, it kind, you know, even though that seems weird to say, something about those things all mixing together hurts the performance of the game whether it's smartly designed or not, right? You you don't want to find out that um you know, the 2000 piece puzzle that you bought on Amazon that you're assembling the people from Amazon come up at the end of the day and they say hey did you finish it because otherwise we're taking it back and we'll give it to you tomorrow you know like you don't want to find that out and that's kind of what they did here yeah yeah, that, that's funny I, I think that um, yeah it, it's not even just like do the puzzle again but it, it's it's like the fact that it is the same puzzles over and over that like if I did even if it's something simple that I can memorize, like if, if I was told that I had to solve 40 crossword puzzles in a row and that I'd have to keep solving the same, like the same starting 39 each, uh, it, it, it doesn't sound fun to like, if you don't finish this in one sitting, having to solve the puzzles again. Like, you've already solved the puzzle. <laughs> yeah, once you already know the answers, now it's just work. Yeah. <laughs> you know, now you just got to do it all again. Uh, yeah, I I, fe I I feel the same way. I feel like um, this game is the kind of game where you know what what does work about it only works as something to like you know solve one puzzle, feel satisfied for a bit, come back to the next time, you know, get stuck, sleep on it, and come back the next day and try again. Like you can't do that with this. This you have to do it all in one sitting. I mean, might as well give you unlimited lives because who cares as soon as you shut the, the, the NES off, you got to start over anyways. Like the point of the game doesn't feel like it's to keep your lives and to not die. The point of the game is to solve the puzzles. So yeah, it's, it, I think it definitely hurts itself by not giving you the chance to like come back and save your progress. Now we're not cavemen. We have technology. <laughs> we have emulators. We have the ability right. to do save states now. What's an emulator? 
<laughs> don't worry about that. Uh, that's a, another show. But the um, the ability to do save states, is that actually now, like, is this game, because of time and technological progressions, is this game now better off because you can faux save? Well, yeah, but I don't think that that should be reflected on the judgment of the game because it is a, it, it's it's kind of cheating. It's it's a cheat. Like it does the if a game genie made a bad game fun because it's fun to cheat with it, I don't think that makes the game good. Okay, I like that analogy because it's like Grand Grand Theft Auto is the same way, right? Like it's a fun game on its own, and then the cheats are a separate thing. Yeah, yeah, and you know, like I think if you did want to play with an emulator. You have to make sure you have some good self-control because if you if you're just gonna rewind or or pause or save state anytime you're stuck, like you're going to also rob the fun of the game because you've made it impossible to fail. Like, mm-hmm. like I feel like if you're going to do that, then you need to like set a rule for yourself that you're just gonna like save after each solve of a puzzle or something. Yeah, uh, something I don't know like why, but that. That just made me think of someone rewinding in NES Tetris, and I just think that's like a really funny thing to be like, I didn't mean to put that block there. Yeah. Like, <laughs> like yeah. yeah, you are right, Joe. Those, those things rob the experience. But since we're on the subject of, of cheating, I found on Game FAQs, and I talked about this briefly at the beginning because Sean was uh, alluding to it, the suicide strategy for Raphael, where um, it's not the same as a reset or going back into the room. Um this suicide strategy makes it so that, uh, you know, you may want to get a key, but you'll be trapped or uh, you need to use the uh, different key to you have to use the same color key to get out. So you can kill Raphael without leaving. You'll gain the key, which is, you know, not supposed to obviously the game didn't account for it. And even though you're trading a life for this now you have the same key that you were supposed to collect. Now you have that in your possession and you can open up a different door. Well, that I would say is more cheesing than cheating. That is something that is a part of the game, whether it's on the NES or on an emulator. Um, And it's, I guess it's just also a sound strategy. Whereas like save stating is not an inherent part of the game. Um, So I, I think that that gets a pass. Maybe they overlooked it. Maybe they thought about it. But that's that's a part of the game, one way or the other. Yeah, it gets a pass as far as if you're the player, but you know it's it's definitely a uh, it's definitely a, a dark mark or whatever on the record of the developers because <laughs> like yeah. you should have seen that and <laughs> those and lazy motherfuckers. <laughs> or yeah, maybe that's just part of their plan though. You know, they're we are accepting the idea that Raphael has 50 lives, so he's just essentially being reincarnated. Now, apparently, you get reincarnated with all the possessions you had on you on your body as well, so why not keep the keys? Yeah, true. But wouldn't the keys also go back to where they belong? I don't know. It's a paradox. That's for the Back to the Future episode, which we already (laughs) recorded, so we can't do anything about Uh, it. We can go back. To the future. There you go. On the sequels and spinoff side, this game, Castle Quest, is a sequel to a game called The Castle. Oh! 
<laughs> so thank you for that, Sean. Um, the castle was this was that, that's a prequel where the castle hadn't gone on its quest yet. That was just them building the castle. It's a it's a castle builder. Yeah, game. There's no quest in this. So you just look at a castle this time, and then the quest starts in the second game. Awesome. Truth be told, it looks like it's exactly the same game as Castle Quest. Like the characters, even just a little bit smaller, if you can believe it, than Raphael is. But it's the same kind of puzzles. Same kind of layouts of the, you know, the different rooms and stuff, except for it it looks like based on a cursory playthrough look, this is on the MSX, so I didn't seek it out, but it looks like there are no color keys in this one, but maybe that's not true because now I'm starting to like jump ahead and colors are being introduced. So maybe <laughs> you're they just, just, you're just describing what you're seeing right now. <laughs> yeah, but maybe they weren't introduced. Uh, maybe it's more progression like that. I also can't tell what's different other than the fact that it just looks worse. So why would you go back to the castle when we have Castle Quest? They also don't have a nice like key layout in Castle Quest. Each of the keys is always on screen as its color, and it just puts numbers next to how many of that color you have. In the castle, it just spawns all the colors of the keys in whatever order you collect them in. So you just see like blue key, yellow key, yellow key, yellow key, green key. <laughs> huh. I don't know. I don't. I don't like that. Good job, the castle. <laughs> You know, I wonder what you guys think of this opinion, but I find the castle to be a a more a more enticing name. Yeah, like I'm more I, I interested in the castle than it. I am Castle Quest. Yeah, it feels yeah, it feels like there's gonna be like like something's up with this castle. Well, something's up with this game, and we're gonna have to figure that out on the final segment of the show, the Essential Games List. Sean, your vote. This is one of the few games that I just was exhausted by. Uh, I ended up not really having too much fun at the end of it. I love puzzle games, like uh, like modern puzzle games and old puzzle games. Like, but like this one just didn't have it. It's got it's got too many faults. Um, so no, it's not essential. Joe, I I'm inclined to agree with you, Sean, on. Uh... And a lot of what you're saying, but I, I will say that I did have like, I enjoyed parts of this because I did have those like moments of that. It did it did succeed at at times in giving me those moments of like, of this immense satisfaction for solving a puzzle. It, some of the puzzles were intricate enough, or at least required my thinking back and like backtracking enough that it felt really satisfying when I figured some of them out. So, you know, in, in that regard, I think it succeeded sometimes. But overall, first of all, the fact that you can get locked out is or soft locked is is pretty unforgivable. A lot of the game does feel like you're going through the boring parts to get to the to the more interesting parts. And that also combined with the terrible movement in this game. Uh I'm I'm definitely not putting it on the essential games list. And and for the for the record, I think that even without a lot of those flaws, if I just had those parts that I said that I liked, I'd still probably not put on the essential games list. I just, I just wanted wanted to give it the credit for for the things it did right as well. Not essential, doubly not essential for me. <laughs> it's very noble of you. Yeah. <laughs> 
So to recap the episode, I cut off the back of the box. We started talking about a game where a castle literally picks itself up and goes on a quest. We didn't bother to learn the main character's name. (laughs) We talked about how the developers didn't care, but they actually did care about the puzzles. And we rushed into the essential games list. So you tell me, listeners, if you think this is going to go on the essential games list. What I guess I'm getting at is is that if you're judging by the podcast, you might think we didn't give the game a fair shake here. But I would say that the best things about this game, the things that you might enjoy about this game, aren't things that you would necessarily like say out loud in a sentence. They're, you know, like to <laughs> Joe's point, to, to Joe's point about like, you know, there were moments of satisfaction, right? Of like solving puzzles, right? Like that's that's just something like, great, you feel that satisfaction and then it's gone because of the core gameplay loop not being a satisfying experience. So anything that is like nice about this game when you're playing it, isn't something that I think you're going to uh, be raving about on a podcast that is now running close to 40 minutes. Does does that make sense, guys? Yeah, I mean, and, and another thing that Joe said, like that there were there were moments of of uh, of success. I think those are the words you used. Like, you know, like the seven and fifty six and twelve uh, uh, San Jose Sharks of nineteen ninety three. Like they had moments of success, but they were also one of the worst hockey teams of all time. Well, and that's so, what I was thinking when I was playing the game. A lot of it, I was like, "This is yeah. like the what you said." <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, that, just another way to another way to phrase it. Well, there's always a chance for another game to be on the essential games list. Next week, we have Ducktales, um, and you know, I've heard good things about that game. I just know it has a really catchy. Um, Tune on the moon, um, because everybody knows that that's like tune on the moon. I like the sound of that, but the so- the level is just called the moon, and the song is amazing, and we're definitely going to feature it on next week's episode. But that also means that I have never played Ducktales in my life, so I don't know anything, and that's the whole point of the show, right, guys? We don't know anything about anything, right? Even after playing, I am not an expert on any subject whatsoever. No experience necessary, yeah. <laughs> right? Great. <laughs> that's what I always look say. it up, everyone. <laughs> Uh, also, if you're like, you know, hey, DuckTales is great, but I did play it, so what else you got for me? I've got a game you probably never played. We are doing on our Nostalgia Bites podcast, which is just for patron members. You can join at patreon.com slash nostalgia. We're doing Antarctic Adventure, a Konami penguin racing platformer game. You know you want that. You know you want that in your life, and it never came to the United States, so I... I'm pretty much betting that you haven't played it. But if you've played it, that's cool and all. Maybe still <laughs> listen to the episode and, you know, throw us some bones. Because um, the bones are our dollars and the worms are our money. 